1: From the palmetto swamps, to the piney woods, to the oak flats, you're listening to The Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Come on.
2: All right, guys. Hey, we're here with Kenan Wilson, Lock Wheeler, and this is episode 35. And today we're going to be honing in on a couple of questions we get asked pretty often about public land, which is, how the hell do you hunt? it? Where do you start? You know, you got 30,000 acres, 15,000 acres. What do you focus on? So, um, Kenan, thanks for joining us today, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the invite.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, last season we did, um, the episode hunting and hit boots with David Sims. Um, mm-hmm. and you and David are, uh, are pretty close. Y'all hunt together a good bit, huh?
0: Yeah. Um, they got a, they got a little group of us, uh, probably about six or seven, uh, that we'll share information pretty good with. Mm-hmm. And, um, we, we hunt together regularly. They, they typically know where each of us are hunting, when we're hunting and what we're killing or seeing. And so we can bounce information off of each other pretty well.
2: Very cool. Well, uh, Locke, you are in Kansas, right?
3: Yeah. Well, I'm technically, I'm currently actually in Nebraska. Ah. I'm at Pro Outfitters. I'm at the lodge at Pro Outfitters and Pro Outfitters is, uh, right on the Missouri river, kind of right at the, uh, where Kansas and Nebraska and Missouri all come together. So, uh, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm up here, uh, getting ready for our hunt in November, scouting some farms and hanging some stands and trail cameras and that kind of thing. So cool. You know, living my best life.
2: Very cool. So, um, I, I can't remember if I brought this up or not, but I have an out of state hunt this year.
3: That's right. (laughs) Illinois.
2: I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just talking to somebody about an hour ago at my shop and um we we're talking about deer hunting and duck hunting and he was like oh have you ever been to illinois and i said no i haven't uh, i'm actually going this year he was like where are you going and i like paused for a second and i was like He was like, "Yeah, what part?" And I was like, "The whole thing." (laughs) I don't know. I I don't. I haven't asked a whole lot of questions. Like uh, I've I've responded back to a lot of really nice trail cam pics, and I have promised to cook a uh, shrimp and chicken Alfredo pasta. And but I don't know the name of the city. So I don't know,
3: <laughs> man. Just getting the truck and gun. exactly.
2: I'm getting, getting <laughs> I'm getting picked up and paying for gas and wherever they drop me off at and tell me where, you know, point me in a direction to hang a stand is where I'm going to be hopefully shooting something, but yeah, I'm pumped, man. So doing the out-of-state thing is, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm, a, uh, I, I'm afraid of it because I'm afraid I might like it.
0: It's definitely fun. So I did my first one last week, actually. Um in missouri and it's completely
3: different than louisiana I'll tell you mm-hmm. that <laughs> it's i i tell i, I kind of use when i tell people about it and i have this conversation i kind of use the whole fishing in a stock pond analogy mm-hmm. you know it's like once you go fish in a stock pond it's really hard to work hard and fish in a lake yeah where you actually got to find the fish you know and <laughs> but when saying that though like i, I feel like i should it's only right for me to clarify how I feel about that because that can sound you know I don't know maybe one way or the other but the truth of it is um, that's not to downplay what we do because we have a great deer herd in the south. I mean parts of Louisiana and, and Mississippi and and all around the South we have some of the best deer hunting in the country, especially as it pertains to numbers of deer and we actually have, my experience goes back quite a way, you know, quite a while. I've been traveling and hunting, and we actually have more deer mm-hmm. than here. And I think that a lot of people who have considered going on an out-of-state hunt and they they've seen the Midwest hunting and, and how popular it is with the rut and all that kind of stuff. And they see it, and they get they get this impression that it's like your neighbor's property or that fu- that friend you know back home who's got that place that's just covered up in deer, right? There's just deer everywhere on my buddy's place. You go sit on any food plot on any day, and you're gonna see deer. It's it's the difference is not the number of deer. There's actually less deer, but there's less woods,
4: mm-hmm.
3: you know. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this on the podcast in different ways, but you know, when you hunt up here, the difference is you you're hunting in most of the time in an area where you can see a lot more and the deer, especially once you get into the fall and into November and stuff, when people, you know, the more popular times of people come up here, the crops are cut out of the fields and the deer are pushed into smaller blocks of timber. So you imagine your place at home or that piece of public land where you hunt at home. If you took the thousands of acres of woods around it, that the deer can, filter out through and you can find them to a 60 or 70 acre block of timber that's surrounded by a thousand acres of cut corn well all of a sudden the deer become a lot more visible mm-hmm. and you know the 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 idea is i'm hunting this place is covered up in deer you're really not you're actually hunting less deer than you probably hunt on your you know area that you hunt at home they're just a lot more visible yeah they don't have you know the the same landscape that we have so
2: yeah Well, um, before, before we get too far into our topic, um, let's, uh, let's, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Locke, tell them about Relentless Boats.
3: So yeah, we're, again, this episode is going to be brought to you by Relentless Boats. And if you haven't heard of Relentless yet, Relentless is a custom boat builder in Louisiana. They're down in Thibodeau and, uh, about the second year in business now, and they have, been building custom boats and they're getting into building some stock model boats that uh, you'll start to to find dealers um carrying some of these models and at those dealerships you'll also be able to work with the dealer to get your own custom boat built and that's everything from 1748 uh up to 1854 surface drive center consoles bay boats whatever you want so custom boat builder louisiana made relentless boats down in tibetope
2: Cool, appreciate it, man. Thanks for letting us Boats for sponsoring us. Let's get on to to this week's episode, man. Kenan, you where where are you? Where do you live?
0: Uh, I live right outside, well in between Church Point and Sunset.
2: Gotcha. Okay, so um, you're hunting primarily public land. Do you hunt any private at all?
0: Um, I may make one one private land hunt a year, mm-hmm. typically, maybe
2: and that's uh on your place or like an invite invite hunt uh
0: it's a it would be an invite hunt um you know you'd mention David Sims he has a, a place every now and then I'll get an invite there What's or it the
2: reapers roost right
0: yeah reapers roost that's that is correct yeah yeah it's pretty cool name
2: yeah pretty he's been building you know the camp me. for over over a year i think it's like coming coming to life now
0: yeah they they've been at it for probably this may be about their 5th year managing and um I think they put together a nice little campground in the last year or so and uh, really trying to spruce it up, make it the family camp and have a good deer, deer population,
3: you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet you they're good at naming their bucks because they're good <laughs> at naming their camp.
2: Yeah. If, it, if you listen to the Louisiana <laughs>
3: Bowen podcast, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Locke
2: Loc is, uh, he has a deficiency. Um, he's missing a protein that allows him to name animals uh, creatively. <laughs> So um, yep. yeah, it's very very <laughs> literal, very literal descriptive names like, yep. you know, bent brow tine buck, uh, yep. you know, deer, you know, deer with hair. I'm yeah, a logical thinker.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I guess you'd fit in the the few have heard is like coon killer and Frank.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Locke names his bucks like you would look up keywords on Google.
3: Yeah, okay. like the most common denominator, the most common characteristic. Yeah. So, like their campsite for me would be like the camp by the pine tree off the highway. Yeah. yeah exactly. So <laughs> LLC.
2: Anyway, yeah. so um, you know, Kenan, you you've been sending me some photos, and I'm sure maybe you remember that or don't, but I get a lot of people from a lot of places that send me photos. And I never show them to anybody. The only thing I ever show or only especially the only thing I ever share on the Louisiana bow hunter is you know like hey, killed this, post it or or whatever but you've been you've been um, you've been finding some pretty impressive bucks man uh, yeah. looks like you got a good year ahead of you.
0: Well, you're not supposed to share that with anybody. I probably won't kill him, but at least I got picture of them. I have,
2: I have nobody. <laughs> I mean, people can picture what a deer looks like, but they don't yeah. know what your deer looks like or where it is, which we would never say. But, um, but that's pretty exciting, man. I, I, I don't know if you remember or if you've listened to the last couple of podcasts, but I am. I said I'm not going to run cameras this year. Yeah, and I can't do that. I was. uh, I put <laughs> so out. So you hung cameras. I put. Well, cam. It's barely plural. It's two. <laughs> well. okay. I put out two cameras. Um, and I, I, I put out one of them, and I literally, <laughs> I literally said goodbye to it, like I would never see it again. I hung it. I hung it in a place where I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever <laughs> come back here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I put it on a piece of public land, way up high. Pointing down in a spot where, like, I really don't know if I'll go, like, I might have to pull that camera next year. Um, and it'll, Mm. it'll die by November. And, you know, I'll take the camp pics off of it. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I don't have time to run cameras, but I found the time to set two of them in which I will Mm. check one of them.
3: So Uh, I went on Saturday. And so I had this. Thought in my mind, and I got this box full of cameras sitting in my dining room that I've been messing with, changing the batteries, making sure they're all. And I thought, I don't really have anywhere to put them, but Mm -hmm. they're ready to go, right? And I'm like, you know, if they're just gonna sit there, they might as well be hanging on a tree, right? I mean, whatever. (laughs) So I was leaving to come up here on Sunday. So Saturday. I actually went on the property behind my house and I hung seven cameras <laughs> <laughs> and none of, none of them are like on feed or anything. They're all just like a scrape or a little buck sign, or um, a trail, a place where I know the deer pass historically. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm like you, I don't have a lot of time to, I don't, i you know, when am I going to go check these? But I thought, well, I'm going to be gone for four days. So this gives me like, it's like, I guess whatever you would call that, that, uh, the practice where you just kind of force yourself into, um, a schedule, like you force yeah. yourself into it. So like, you know what? I need to be getting prepared to hunt this place. I need to be doing things. So I'm going to go put all these cameras out because i means I have to go get them next week because some of them have to go to another piece of property in Mississippi. So, yeah. Yeah. I got seven cameras out and they're all just looking at, they're probably all going to have pictures of squirrels, but yeah. they're <laughs> out there.
2: I've got two. How, how many are you running, Kenan? Um,
0: I had four. I pulled two um, out because I didn't feel like making the walk again. Kind of like what you're going through. Yeah. 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 I know what you mean. And, and so I just have two out right now. Um, not all the public places that I hunt um, allow cameras. So kind of, you know, limited a little sure. bit.
2: I know what you mean by that. Um, about three, <laughs> about three years <laughs> ago, I uh, I hung a stealth cam, uh, in a place, uh, in South Louisiana on a WMA. It was a place that me and Chris berard were hunting, and uh, I had this this freaking strategy, like 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 full fool, foolproof foolproof <laughs> strategy, like this is gonna work, and um, I, I it was thirteen hundred and fifty yards from where we parked the boat and uh and you followed this little levee through the woods and i hung this camera there we hunted there once and i was positive we were going to kill something and i killed a hog and that was it so i hung a camera and then like fast forward like four months and chris is like Hey, bruh, You want me to go get that camera you hung back there? <laughs> been, it was like he didn't. He got it in like March, you know. And um, sure enough, there was like twenty-five pictures, of which two of them were bucks at three a.m. And I, I guess we made the right move by getting out of there, you know. Um, but yeah, I, that's a problem—is putting them back too far, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. We we should probably do a whole episode on like trail cameras and and strategies and hanging them high and all that stuff. Um, yeah,
0: hang them high, but don't forget your stick whenever you go back to pull them. Yep. that's what I learned because yeah, I had yeah. to monkey up a tree to get my out the tree.
2: That's the best way to do it. Is is uh, like you said, take one climbing stick, climb to the top of it, put it about what ten twelve feet high, um, and like if you uh, if you put them in. Um, where the tree wise or has a limb coming off, you can get that angle downwards a little easier. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's concealed cause people are kind of, you know, right there, the tree's wider, the camera's not as noticeable to passerby's. That's not a word. Um, and, uh, the other thing is, you know, you can use your Louisiana bow hunter sticks. Yeah. Um, to help angle them down as well. You know, are we but,
3: still doing the buy one get one, get one free promotion on that?
2: We are, yeah. They're, we're sold out right now. Production's down. Factory, the, yeah. The factory had a, a major malfunction. We 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 put too many pine trees through, and it's like it's all sapped up.
0: Sap.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but I will say, you know, and I mean, teaser alert: we are going to release the sticks 2.0 this year, which is um, which is going to be we have two new patterns. Um, it's going to be, um, mossy tree and real oak, um, which are pretty, pretty excited about those. They look very realistic. So is that, is
0: that the bigger, is that the one that you can hang at different, at all the different angles?
2: That's, um,
3: very versatile. It's
2: very versatile. Uh, mm-hmm. that one can be angled more than our other than the, the stick original sticks Um, but, uh, but it's still going to have some limitations. You know, you can't shoot all your bullets Mm -hmm. in, in one gun this year. Like I said, we've got the six 2.0. We've got some new hydro dipped finishes. Like I said, it's, um, it's going to be a real oak and mossy tree
3: and make them a lot more realistic.
2: Yeah. A lot more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we really want these things to be just, you can't tell. disappear.
3: They need to disappear against the tree. Just like a, a, you know. A limb would.
2: Yeah. So yep. don't, don't be fooled by the imitators. Made in America. Sticks 2.0. Um, so so uh,
3: I have been using, that's just a good time to, I've been using those, if you've checked them out, those uh, HME screw-in camera mount things. So yeah, it's like a yeah, yeah, yeah. utility hook and then it's got a, you know, I don't know what you call it's it. a thumb attachment. screw. Thumb screw. Yeah, like a thumb screw and, and you can and it, and it twist left and right and up and down. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. have found, like, I was thinking of that. I, what made me think of that, I just ordered, like, six of them. Um, and that may have been why I went and hung cameras, because I wanted to go play with my nutrition hanger thingies. But, um, you know, for hanging your cameras up high, it's, you know, for that, it's really good for that, because you, you can, you know, it's got the, you just loosen the the, the wing nut, and you can, uh, you know, point it however you want.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So, kind of, it solves the whole finding the right tree and <laughs> finding a way to get the right angle and all that. So they're pretty, pretty, if you run a lot of trail cameras, it's kind of a, they're like $1.99, $2.99 a piece or something like that.
2: Yeah. Check well, um, I have to check. I've seen them. Uh, they've got a couple different versions. Is that is that the one where like it doesn't have an angle adjustment, it just screws in from the bottom and you have to screw it in at an angle?
3: No, the one I have, it it looks like, it's shaped just like your typical utility bow hook, so your threaded part screws straight into the tree, and then it kind of has a, it comes out and does a ninety down, mm-hmm. and then over and a ninety up.
2: Yeah, but that's what um, I'm talking about. The screw where it screws into the camera does that tilt independently from the hook, or you just have to angle? Like, yes. Sp-
3: okay. It does okay. on the end of that part where it where it where it angles back up, it makes the U or whatever on the end of it. On that is a, a a complete. It's like the same thing as the the camera attachments that have the. So it has the the uh, the threaded mm-hmm. uh, screw that fits the camera, and then from there, it's got two adjustments. It's got two wing nuts on it, and one tightens it left and right, and the other one tightens it up and down.
2: Got gotcha. you. Yeah, those are cool. They are a direct competitor of the sticks, but.
3: I oh, was going say, yeah, <laughs> that, uh...
2: but
3: they do a lot. I mean, you know, the stick uh, the sticks do not screw into a tree, and that kind of makes them different
2: yeah whatever whatever (laughs) that's pretty 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 short-sighted of you lock to be
0: yeah i'm just
3: i stick to i stick with the sticks but thank you thank you the hme trail camera holders do not come in uh they're not as versatile mossy mossy tree and real oak they don't come in that for sure they're just green
2: they're just green i mean who wants that so
3: like drab green
2: Anyway, um, so Kenan, let's talk about public land. Let's talk about um, obviously not where you hunt. I was talking to talking to Greg Gravois about this today. Actually, um, we were talking about uh, ruining spots. <laughs> <laughs> he he was he gave me a hard time about posting a notification that Cat Island back open was back open, and, and he sends he 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 calls me and he was like hey where you hunt where you hunt, and I was like uh I, like I know where he hunts and I, I'm like I don't hunt here he was he's was like where you hunt I'm gonna f that up for you and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like I was like, Well, I mean it's not hard. I was like, You can share it if you want, but I hunt the Atchafalaya, you know, based in WMA or Chafflaya Delta WA He was like, You don't fricking hunt there, I hunt there. Don't don't shit me, you know <laughs> I was like, I knew where you were going with that. You're just pissed that I told people cat Island was back open. I was like, it's not a secret. Like people are going to find out about it and it's news, you know, it would be doing a disservice. Like I think it would be worse if I didn't tell people that it was back open. So, um, but he was like, his answer was, man, I, I hope they keep it. No four wheelers. Like I, I hope they keep the ATV trails closed. He goes, if that happens, there'll be some, some, uh, some good, good hunter efforts in there, you know? But, um, anyway, um, so when you're hunting a new piece of property or, or maybe not an entirely new piece of property, but when you're thinking about hunting a new area, kind of tell us what your strategy is. What's your, what's your approach?
0: Yeah. So really i I don't like um just an area that looks monotonous no change yeah whether it's a a creek a slough um a ridge um a change in cut of timber um any of those things could be a factor um that i kind of look look at you know because a a oak flat that's for ten thousand acres if it's it's a all an oak flat and nothing changed and it's not going to look too appealing appealing nothing's going to stand out Mm -hmm. um so really just look for any i mean i'm looking for any type of change whether it's a ridge a slough something in there that shows some kind of change in geography um could be a big bottom you know um just anything along those lines as opposed to just flat ground that -hmm. are all the same woods
2: so um We we've got an article. We've got an article coming out next week that Austin Bradford's putting out. And um, uh, we talk about this thing called copy, like what you're saying, the same woods over and over. I call them copy and paste woods. It's just it's just redundant. You can walk for a thousand yards in every direction and and it's every tree is the same as the next tree as the next tree. Um, So when so you're looking for transition points, right, you're looking for areas where things change up. Um, yep. now, um, are you, would you call yourself a feed tree hunter? Like, would you, is that kind of a st- tactic you go for often? Or are you more of a pinch points funnel, um, uh, that type of stuff, crossings guy?
4: Um,
0: I like to find, I personally like feed trees, um, cause you know, they're going to come there. Now I may not hunt right under one, but. I may try to guesstimate which way I believe they're coming from and maybe find a pinch point in there. Because if they're coming from 500 yards away and they're just, you know, it's monotonous timber, then you're going to have a hard time figuring out unless, you know, they're getting there before dark. Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to if you can find a funnel going towards that feed tree or some kind of geographical change going towards that feed tree, you know, you don't have to get right on it. But get towards it to where you know that you have a better chance. They may be coming through there.
2: Gotcha. Now, um, do you do you hunt places that that have a lot of palmettos?
0: Yeah the the majority of places I hunt are all palmettos, hardwoods.
2: So, um, are you do you do you ever go into a place blind in the dark for the first time and, and pick a tree and set up?
0: Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Okay. Um, So and then right whenever I think it's time to get down, I'm going to get down a little bit earlier and I'm going to go scout in the daylight.
2: Okay. So, um, let's say if you had to guess your success on a spot you go in blind on versus a sco a spot that you had scouted and set up on you know, what do you think your ratio is or, or your, uh, how successful are you on, on going in blind hunts versus you say pre-scouted spots?
0: Uh, going in blind, I would say pretty, pretty seldom, um, the even see deer, you know, um, unless you just hit a transition point that's, you know, great. Um, it's pretty hard to scout in the dark I'll find. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> Um, as opposed to scouting and maybe not even just hunting that time, but scouting it and coming back either, you know, maybe it's even scouting that for the afternoon hunt and coming back in it and hunting it that afternoon. That way deer don't pass your scent mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, or giving it some time and coming back in it. If it's a regular, if it's a travel pattern, um, if it's a feed tree, you have to hit it whenever they're hitting it. But cause I mean, they're going to move on at some point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We we were talking earlier, you and I, about, um, you know, you have an analogy of features and restaurants, um, and why some features are better than others, but I had asked you, you know, how do you hunt a place that is all hardwoods and palmettos and every tree has an acorn under it? And it, 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 tell me, tell me what you said. You had a good analogy about restaurants and things like that.
0: Yeah. So, um, I compared it to, you know, me and Kyler and Locke, we may all like different steak restaurants. You know, all these restaurants serve steak just as all these acorn trees serve acorns. But every steak restaurant is going to have a little bit different taste to it. Same thing as the acorn trees. And so not every acorn tree is going to get hit at the same time. They're going to go from the best tasting one at that point in time to the the least best tasting one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your feed tree may be getting hit this week. All the acorns may fall off, and then they may move to that one that dropped last week, but they weren't hitting it last week.
2: So how, what are you looking for to determine, like, if, if you've got a, a, an oak flat with 25 different oak trees dropping, which one are you going to hone in on and why? What's What's being shown to you that's making you pick one over another?
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna um, look for the crushed, the crushed acorn shells is the main is one main thing, um, but the second is deer poop. You know, a deer is gonna slow down whenever they find the acorn tree they like or whatever feed tree they like. They typically slow down, and you can find deer poop under it. Mm-hmm. Others they may just pass through, break a shell, keep walk- walking as they're trying to get to their main tree that they're gonna eat at. And I mean, it's it's distinct. Whenever you find one, you know it's not just one one dropping you're going to find. You may find eight to ten droppings, and you know if there are some fresh ones, you better hunt it because in three or four days it may be done.
2: Yeah. Hey, you you know what I have found? Two things. You know, talking about acorns. Um, I hunt a lot of white oaks and cow oaks and and things like that, like the the big ones, the big like mm-hmm. ping pong ball size oak trees. Um, and if it's been dry, if it, well, if it's been dry, what you find is, um, like the ground looks powdered a little bit, you know, like they've Mm -hmm. been walking on in a circle. Um, there's, hasn't been a lot of leaf leaves fallen on it since they found it. It's already hitting the acorns real hard and it looks kind of powdered. Like you can step back away from the tree and like, it physically looks a lighter color ground because it's a bunch of broken leaves and kicked up dirt versus a tree versus a tree right next to it. That isn't as favored. Um, and so that's number one, you know, chase mets has told me that a lot. Garrett Ramsey's told me that a lot, you know, kind of specifically what you're looking for under a, a hot tree. And then um, there might be a tree right next to it. That's dropping. And um, what I've found is a, a, I can't. we could keep calling them acorn trees like like they're like that's the name of them what what I've typically typically find under an oak tree that they're hitting hard other than that physical sign is that there' just be a bunch of caps, you know just mm-hmm. a bunch of fresh caps like you can see where the acorn was connected to it it's kind of that green yellow it's fresh it it looks like it just fell out of the tree, you have a lot of caps under the tree that is not as Uh, you say flavorful or has a bitter taste or doesn't is not what they're favoring right now. Maybe it isn't, I don't know if this is pertinent, but maybe isn't ripe. If that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. You'll find a lot of crushed acorns. You'll find a lot of acorns that have been chewed twice and like dropped. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a, a decent showing of it. But as far as like, so this episode is, is we're talking a little bit about what to look for, but also what not to look for. Like what do you dismiss? What should you overlook on purpose? Um, be careful about using broken acorns as a sign of, of deer activity. Because if you mm-hmm. pick up that acorn and it's like, especially red oaks, like the little the pin oaks, little tiny acorns, um, like smaller than a marble, the green ones and red ones. Um, that crushed acorn is actually just a squirrel dropping yeah. it and you can see the tiny teeth marks in it um and so from the ground like if you're looking at it on the ground it looks like it got crushed and like fell out of a deer's mouth but you pick it up and you're like well this shell's been broken up by a squirrel and it's been half chewed and then it was dropped and mm-hmm. that is not where you should hunt Because of that in particular, you know, um, you know, don't use crushed up acorns or half eaten acorns as a, as a, a a tell of a decent tree, because a lot of times that might just be a squirrel throwing them out the, out the window, you know,
3: I invert inversely. Um, I guess kind of the other side of what you said about the dust and the dry. So I make it a habit to scout for multiple reasons when it's wet specifically be a mud pit like like specifically well actually a little more subtle than that's where i'm going to go with this um so one reason before before that that is that um I, i just feel like it's quieter and typically if it's close if there's a weather front in the area um, there's probably going to be some wind associated too. And I just, I just feel like I can be more stealthy in the woods when they're wet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's some wind and some weather change. But, um, one thing that I notice, uh, is, so if you look in the woods and I, and obviously when it's wet on the ground on a dirt road, you can see deer tracks. I mean, everybody knows that. But if you yeah. look in the woods, especially on flat ground, like, so we're talking about like feed trees and so in saying that we're typically talking about flat ground, whether it be the flat top of a ridge or the flat a flat oak flat bottom area. Um if it rains enough, leaves get wet and you know they mat, right? So the Mm -hmm. the ground for a period of time until it until it really evaporates, the ground becomes very level and and flattened off by that moisture absorbing into the leaves and basically matting them down. And to the point that you made about how when a deer finds an area that they're feeding on a lot, they slow down. Um when they get on that wet ground in areas where they're actually spending a lot of time, you start to see where it looks like somebody's ran an aerator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the spiky thing that you you put on a ball field or whatever. You can actually see the impression in the ground where you may go over to another area where there's dropping um, acorns or, or what, whatever browse or whatever, and you know it's been a day or two since the rain, and it's just it's just a flat mat of matted down wet leaves. And then you go over here to this tree, and it looks like somebody's you know taking a I, I don't know of the the end of the the handle of a shovel and just poked the ground a whole bunch. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Not mm-hmm. dug
3: not dug up like a squirrel would. No. Yeah the hoof impression and so i guess what and what i'm highlighting there is is specifically in the woods the the matting of the leaves if you get enough rain now obviously this this doesn't apply to a a light rain this when you have enough rain to really saturate the the forest floor the matting of the leaves makes it really easy to tell where because where they're spending because you watch one of deer feeds what do they do they're constantly taking a step taking a step taking a step you know they're 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 shuffling around and they end up you know Basically kicking all those leaves up and making a lot of indentation in that mat that the wet floor floors created. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can really not, tell not after rain. Mat. Yeah, and you can really tell after a rain. Like if let's say you get a really hard rain on a Friday. And you go in on Saturday afternoon, and it, it's been a 24-hour period, and the woods are still really matted down. You haven't had a lot of wind, kick everything up, and dry everything back up. you still got a really wet, matted forest floor if you can find. It becomes really easy to find where they're spending a lot of time either in travel or in feeding, but specifically in feeding. Because, like I said, if they're spending very much time there, they're just milling around. So they're making lots of footsteps on that freshly matted leaf bed and it's kicking it all up and it'll look very much different from the the areas around it Mm -hmm. even when there's not an identifiable track so to speak
0: yeah you'll see those leaves it um instead of being just water it may have a little bit of uh some you know a little not mud but a little piece of dirt or something else that may
3: have washed off that leaf typically yeah it's whenever you know you see a bunch of them you're like okay something's been in here yeah but it's almost like the rain works like an eraser on a dry erase board. It, mm-hmm. it it makes a fresh, clean surface on the forest floor, on the leaves, and obviously nothing that weighs a hundred plus pounds that's spending very much time milling around can maintain that fresh slate. They're gonna they're gonna disturb it. Whereas if you go into a place where it hasn't rained in a week and the wind's blowing and all that, I mean, kind of to the to the. Uh, you know, to just a glance or just a, you know, a basic look, every I mean, it just looks like a leafy forest floor, right? You know, you might find a track in a wet spot maybe, but generally, I mean, all the leaves are the squirrels and the birds and everything is kind of just disturbed the forest floor, and it's just kind of a scattering. So anyway, that was just an interesting point. Um, I've never heard the you know the dry dust thing which makes a lot of sense I've just never heard it but yeah I just know for me I I often if if I got an area where I'm trying to figure out where the deer are most frequently at or passing through or spending time you know I try to go in um give it enough time after the rain for them to 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 kind of get that window that picture where you say okay well I've given it enough time that if they're frequently enough for me to want to hunt here then they would have been here since this rain passed and if they did i should be able to find it because like i said everything we just talked about there there's going to be very identifiable sign in your forest floor
2: yeah
4: well Mm -hmm.
2: kenan um in your experience like uh like let's pick a let's pick a a a large mass large hard mass tree like a white oak or cow oak or something like that how Mm -hmm. long do you think that tree stays hot before a deer moves off it?
0: Like, what, what's your so, window?
2: What do you think your window is?
0: I, I mean, a, a a pin oak from what I, just things that I've seen, I think a week, because um, I've hung cameras on them, you know, maybe two weeks max. Um, but I've seen, you know, some striped acorns, the bigger, the bigger oak, you know, I don't know what you really call them, but I just call them big striped acorns. Yeah. Um, you know, they could go along for, you know, two to three weeks, mm-hmm. um, depending on how quick they're dropping, you know. Um, if there's a lot of wind, they'll drop quicker, of course, you know, but those deer are going to, they may come back to that exact tree for, you know, three weeks. Yeah. Per se. Yeah.
2: That's the, that's the hard thing about hunting feed trees is catching them at the right time. Um, which is, you know, when you, when you're scouting and hunting simultaneously, um, you're hunting, what you consider to be the freshest sign of that day right now, set up today, hunt this evening, come back, hunt the morning, you know, if you don't see anything, maybe move on. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, with, with, um, with like your larger cow oaks and white oaks, uh, overcup acorns and stuff like that. I've I've seen it be maybe an average of a week and a half to two weeks, um, mm-hmm. before uh, either the either the tree isn't dropping fast enough for them and they move on, or the tree's yep. dry, dried up and they've just you know deer are just walking vacuum cleaners man you know that's all yeah. they are um, they're very they're just they're just roombas with legs you know
0: and they and there may be a tree next to it that they pick up on and so you may you know. If you don't notice that it's a different tree, but you still see the sign. Yeah. You know, you may still think it's the same tree per se, and they may be in the same area. Absolutely. It may not be the next tree.
2: Well, so you said earlier, you know, on a map, you're looking for, you could say unique features of a piece of land. If I maybe summed up what you were saying, um, you're looking for transitions. You're looking for areas that – Break up the monotony of wide open woods Mm -hmm. as far as the eye can see. Um, I don't know about you, but I've hunted areas only because there was a hot tree. I've hunted areas Mm -hmm. only because there was a lot of sign at a crossing. Um, You know, this season, up until like a week ago, it's been very, very dry, very dry. Mm -hmm. Maybe two weeks, Um, and uh, you know, hunting. Uh, water sources was a pretty good uh method as well. You know, water levels mm-hmm. really low, creeks and bayous and whatnot are starting to get low. Start to see a lot of tracks on the on the edges of bayous where you park the boat or whatnot. Um and um, <clears throat> but um one of the one of the things that I guess my holy grail I'm looking for is when I can combine things like that together. When I can, Mm -hmm. when I can combine, um, a thicket with a big oat flat that's dropping and I have a wind that's downwind from the thicket and maybe even Mm -hmm. downwind from the tree. Um, you know, I I was on, on Sunday, I, I I hunted a piece of public land that, um, I had hunted it last year, but I had gone in by boat. Uh, and I was, uh. Where I hunted on Sunday, was seventeen hundred yards away from where I would have hunted it if the water level was higher, for me to get back there, and um, I I had to you I I'll just say it I had to settle I had to settle for <laughs> big wide open woods, um, like mm-hmm. the type of woods that you would hunt with a rifle. You know you could make a, a hundred and fifty yard shot. And not have your bullet deflected. And Mm -hmm. I was hunting good sign. I was hunting fresh sign. I was hunting, you know, fallen trees. But every tree was falling. (laughs) And every Mm -hmm. tree had fresh sign. And so, um, you know, when we talk about what not to hunt, sometimes the stuff that like we or other people are saying you should look for, like big wide open copy and paste woods with every tree dropping and every tree with some sign, you're just going to drive yourself crazy. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to have confidence sitting in the stand because you know this tree is just as good as that tree and it's just as good as the tree 50 yards past that. And there's no way to know where the deer is going to come from and there's no way to know um, if you're set up at the right time. And so if I can find a place where, um, like, uh, let's say it's a funnel area, uh, like, like the like where I wanted to hunt but I couldn't get there, this bayou came within 100 yards. Like it, 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 it snaked back and forth, and it came within 100 yards of a thick, thick, thick spot, like super thick. Like uh, it's hard to it's hard to say any area in Louisiana is a bedding area because Louisiana is a bedding area, but um, this was absolutely where the deer were living, and then they were crawling out at night to come eat on these Oak trees. And so that hundred yard stretch where they were, they were put, if they wanted to walk past it, there was about a 500 yard stretch where it was real narrow between the bayou and this thicket. And there were hardwoods and palmettos in there. Everything is like, it was was a, it was a perfect storm. And, um, it's, that's the type of stuff I'm looking for. So I'm, I'm looking to like, what can I combine? Can I combine, Mm -hmm. you know, thickets, with feed trees and a pinch point because the mm-hmm. the more of those things you start to add together is going to help you hone in on a spot where you should be hunting or where you should be scouting to potentially hunt. Um, yeah. And, uh, it's, I mean, it's hard. It's really hard hunting wide open woods. Um, and, and to feel good about it the whole time you're in the stand. Um, there's just, if there's not a good reason for that deer to cross within 40 yards of you, why are you hunting there? You know, um, why not, why not put yourself in a corner where you might have something um, walk closer or, you know, deer aren't going to open, walk in the wide open. They're going to walk that, that um, thicket edge or they're going to walk, you know, through the palmettos.
3: So Um, I have a question. Yep. Being the guy that doesn't currently, I don't, I don't do a lot of public land hunting now. Let's, let's say, let's set the stage in such a way that you know this area that you're talking about. You know it's there because of your, you know, you've kind of scouted around it, and you've looked at it on a map, and you kind of know what you expect, but you don't know it, right? Like, you don't know it good enough to know what tree you're going to. Mm -hmm. You just Mm -hmm. know that that, you want to get over there. And you know that those deer around there that's where you need to be with a bow and arrow because, like you said, that's where you're in the, the most likely position for if you see a deer, he's going to be in a position where you can potentially get a shot at him and not just hoping that he meanders by by you um, close enough in, in, in a more open area. But would you or do you ever to kind of, I guess, observation type of hunts where you get close enough where you might – You might get lucky but even if you don't get lucky and get a shot you can potentially observe deer moving in and around this area that you want to get more into when you have better time to prepare and be there but Mm -hmm. um in this situation hey i can burn up a day of hunting here and i'll have a really good idea of how to approach this area that i know is probably going to be where i'm going to most likely be successful and and i and i guess you know, it's a form of scouting. I mean, do you, do you guys do that on public land?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely will take a, a observation sit, but I also may push it. And if I truly think there's something going to be in there and I think I have the right wind, whether it's just an off wind, as long as it's not straight down the wind of where I'm going, I um, mean, my wind's blowing in there, you know, I may try to get as close as I think I can. And if I end up bumping something, I'm going I may hop up in the tree or get just out of the wind of it, but absolutely it may be worth a morning hunt and then, you know, scouting a little bit on the edge as quietly as you can. It's just my first thought of it, you know?
2: Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't do observation hunts anymore. Um, my re in my head while you were bringing that up, I was like, man, I, I, I don't have the the time to say, Oh, I'm gonna spend the morning looking around. You know, like with my binoculars. You know, looking a hundred yards in every direction, see what's around. If I'm gonna make a deer hunt on public land, and I'm gonna go back to an area where I wouldn't even go back and and hang a camera and check it often enough, I'm gonna go into a spot that I think I I, I hope would be where I have my greatest chance of killing something that day. Mm-hmm. I'm a little different in the fact that I don't do a lot of scouting. Um i i never have um it's not really it's not really been my my thing when i say scouting i mean i don't i don't solely walk into public land with the goal of finding a place for my next hunt at at a future date Mm -hmm. if i'm gonna hunt public land if i don't know where i'm gonna hunt yet i'm gonna get there at noon or one o'clock depending on if it's daylight savings time or not and um I'm going to find an area that I found on a map and I'm going to scout the shit out of it until I find something that day that I can hunt. Um, you know, that's something that, like I said, I, I learned that style from chase Metz and Garrett Ramsey. Um, they learned it from Warren Womack. So like I, I, I personally hadn't learned it directly from Warren, but I learned it from people that did. And that just, that worked really well for me.
3: Yeah. So let me say like something that I do. And, and I, I get what you're saying and the, the way that you approach that. And, I, I mean, that's actually, for someone who has that direction, especially if you, if you feel like you're in a time crunch, it makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. Something that I do, and it's not necessarily on public land, but you also got to consider when I travel to hunt, it's the only difference between what I'm doing and what you're doing is I'm on a restricted piece of land that's private, and other people can't hunt it, but as far as time goes, and resources goes, I'm not a lot different than you, I'm driving up Mm -hmm. to somewhere, and I've got maybe a thousand acres of ground split up amongst a couple of different blocks, and I've got a week to hunt, and I mean, it's just like, here's, here's the property line, have at it, you know, so, Mm -hmm. um, but even, you know, I've talked about this, and, and, um, Numerous times, I'm very big on hunting the right place on the, at the right time, right? I'm very particular about that. Um, and so one of the things that I do, both on my private properties at home, as well as when I travel and go somewhere and I'm hunting somewhere in a limited amount of time, I do the observation thing in a very strategic way. I don't just go sit in the woods observation Just to do it, you know, or just because I could see a long way. But if I know there's an area or there's something about a place and I feel like I that's where I need to be. And for whatever reason, it's not today because the wind's not right or I haven't been in there good enough to know exactly where I need to be. So I'm not ready to go in there and I don't you know, whatever those reasons are. I do the observation thing a lot. and, And and the reason I bring this up is because for guys that maybe don't feel the way you do, Kyler, like they feel like, hey, I mean, I'm, I hunt a lot, you know, um, maybe this would work for them on public land. I've actually had this help me out a lot because I have actually scouted places and said, OK, so from my point of view, I've now been in there and scouted it and I've got an idea of what I want to do. And I want to make sure that the next time I go in there, I'm hanging a stand and I'm hunting it on the right day or I'm hanging a stand With the idea of exact – I want to limit the intrusion is what I'm getting to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think I've got it right, and I I will oftentimes hunt an observation sit in that area to stay out of there and give my – and I have – give myself more information. And more times than not, I've observed things that's changed my viewpoint of what I thought I saw, and I made a change to my ultimate sit and had success. So Mm -hmm. I say that because – it's happened to me. And so it's one of those things that I've developed as a habit because it's been very successful for me. Because I have, stu- like I said, I've stumbled across a place and I thought I'm hanging a stand right here, either for later in the season or next time I get a chance, I'm going to come hang and hunt right here, or, you know, whatever. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And it's like, okay, I'm not ready to go in there. The wind's not exactly right or I really need to wait or whatever the case may be. And I've hunted off of it where I expected the deer to be coming and going from there, or even in a situation where I might could even see some of that area. And I've observed deer movement to the point where I went, "Holy crap! I that was wrong. Like I need to, I need to do something a little differently." And mm-hmm. because of that, I was able to be successful later on. So that's why I asked that question. I just wondering. I actually I've done that on public land. I used to hunt when I was in college in Mississippi. There was a WMA pretty close to campus, and we hunted a lot. And I did this all the time. I would go hunt, like let's just say this was a real pretty WMA and it had a lot of diversity. There were swampy areas, there were big hardwoods, there were select cut pines, they manicured a lot of power lines and open field areas. For the, I mean, it was a really well done place. And so you could hunt a lot of different stuff. And I would do things like I would get on that power line and I would hunt two or th- with a bow and arrow now, two or 300 yards up the power line from where I wanted to be so that I could watch the power line all afternoon
4: mm-hmm.
3: and observe mm-hmm. and not just guess by the sign, but actually observe exactly how the deer were coming and going on that power line. And then when that was right, I would go in there and hunt it and I would have a better idea of maybe I need to be on this side or that side or, you know, what, whatnot. And then uh, another thing that I've done is going down the road, um, you're looking down through a bottom and you see a a bottom and you're like, there's got to be, there's got to be something there that I want to hunt. I know there is, but instead of walking that bottom, you know, or trying to find a time where I had plenty of time to walk it, then hang and hunt. I would hunt on the side of a hill, maybe a hundred yards, 200 yards up the hill in these open woods where I could see. And I would hunt it a couple of times and watch it. And when I knew okay, if, if I've got this wind and these kind of conditions, this is what the deer are doing. The next time I went in there, I was within striking. I knew where I was going. All I had to do was pick between two or three trees, which one was the best one for me to, to be able to climb up in and get the, you know, the best vantage point. So that's why I asked that question, because I, I did it a lot as a public land hunter, and I do it now as a private land hunter, and it's helped me out. It changed my viewpoint of things I thought I kind of knew, and kind of honed those things in and made me more successful
2: hey guys louisiana bow hunter shop of the week brought to you by tacticam today we're on the phone with ken Shue out of gotham archery in central louisiana ken thanks for joining us man
5: thanks for having me kyler
2: yeah no problem so you're in central and i know you moved your business here after the flood of 2016 so tell us about your business tell us about where you're located
5: Sure. Uh, We're in the middle of uh, Central Louisiana, right at the Central Thruway, super convenient for a lot of people. Uh, Basically, we're a full-fledged pro shop, archery range. We run a pretty extensive youth program. Uh, The bow lines we carry are pretty much Matthews, Mission, Bowtech, Diamond, Bear, uh, and Elite.
2: Great, great. So, now, y'all do full tunes, string swaps, um, I mean, total bow custom setups and all of that in-house, right?
5: Uh, yes, sir. So basically for strings, we try to source from as many different companies as possible. Everyone does have a preference, and we try to meet the client needs.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, something that's unique about your bow shop over others is that y'all have a very uh, very interesting indoor range. It's, uh, how, how how far is it? How many yards is it?
5: We can actually do up to 30 yards. We also have an elevated stand you can shoot from. Uh, we'd like to do three tournaments. Uh, we have about 30, basically 3D targets that we put up for tournaments and stuff like that.
2: And then you've got, uh, you've got a shorter range right there on your left when you walk in. What's that one about?
5: Oh, so basically, we want to introduce more people into sport. Our goal here is actually to grow archery mm-hmm. as a sport and not try to, you know, keep can in the same pool. So we want to actually introduce new people. So by having a separate range for beginners, it takes away some of the intimidation. So if someone brings in the little brothers, little sisters, wives, husbands that have never shot before they feel a little more comfortable. Being kind of in a separate shorter range
2: that's great you know we get asked about that a lot um, in person we get messages all the time which is you know how can I get into archery where would you suggest I go to learn how to shoot to learn good form and um, we send a lot of people your way and I think it's a great thing that y'all do which is really accommodating the from ground zero bow hunter or bow hunter want to be or archer want to be um, where they feel, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, maybe safe coming to you, asking you some questions they might be embarrassed to ask about doing things that they feel everybody else knows that they don't. Y'all are great at accommodating that. You agree?
5: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, it starts with our staff, too. We were very lucky to have the staff we do. Again, uh, we're pretty much biased, 50% female, fifty percent male. Because, again, as a customer comes in, we want to have the best person that can make them feel comfortable entering the sport. And our big thing with teaching is we want them to be comfortable with their equipment first. If you get a kid to basically learn how to run with a shoe size, two size is too big, they're going to hate running. So we want to make sure that they are comfortable before they even look at their first bow.
2: Well, um, that's a great analogy. I like that a lot. Well, uh, any, anything else that you want to add before we jump off of here?
5: Uh, well, the big thing that we really do like, uh, that we're proud of, is our youth program. We've grown that pretty much from grassroots to ground zero. Uh, we're really trying to make this a positive thing for kids basically something to do besides play video games and watch tv all day and we've had a lot of success with that program
2: absolutely so do you get a lot of uh kids coming in after school during the week and things like that
5: oh absolutely and we also see great improvements we see people that are actually significantly treating school having more discipline and stuff like that too as well
2: It's great great success man well look i appreciate you joining us and uh you know tell them where you're located uh, tell them what your address is in central
5: Sure. We're at 14455 Greenwell Springs Road in Central Louisiana, 70739. We're basically at the corner of Greenwell Springs and the Central Thruway.
2: Great. Hey, I appreciate it, Ken. You have a good day, man.
5: You too, Kyle. Thank Perfect. you very much, Tyler.
2: All right, guys, let's do this week's Louisiana Bow League update. This is week three has passed, and uh, looks like some bucks are starting to hit the ground, starting to get some... Uh, decent jumps and score here so I'm going to give you the top 10 number 1 we've got Heart Stoppers with 170 points number 2 Bloodline 160 and 5 8 number 3 is Trained Killers 152 and 5 8 Stay Stealthy at number 4 135 and 3 quarters number 5 Crimson Trail 127 and a half number 6 Button Bobby 60 points number 7 LA Lung Punchers with 50 points number eight overdrawn 50 points number nine passing through with 50 points and number 10 schwack attack with 50 points so we've got 30 teams looks like only 20 of them are on the board and the top three are Hardstoppers, stoppers bloodlined and train killers first second and third so uh that's your louisiana bow league weekly update y'all stay tuned So, so let me ask you a hypothetical. Let's say the three of us, uh, and I really, really think this would be fun to do. Let's say, let's say the three of us w- were all massively, maybe disgustingly competitive with each other, and we each put like fifty bucks in a pot, and we said, okay, we're all gonna go hunt a WMA none of us have ever been to. We're gonna get there on a Friday morning before dark, before daylight. And we're gonna hunt until Sunday evening.
3: Would so you got spend Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? You have
2: all day Friday, all day Saturday, and all day Sunday. Let's say there's you know six potential hunts in there, mornings and evenings. Okay. Um, are you going to spend all day Friday scouting? or Are you going to hunt it all on Friday?
3: So, the objective is to the first one to kill a deer, or
2: uh, what? let's say, uh, let's say the first one to kill, let's say the first one to kill a deer and then biggest deer.
3: Sure. So if, if, if the objective was the first one to put a deer on the ground, whatever that was, whether we had a, a size restriction or just any deer, whatever, then I would be more aggressive, obviously, because I want to get in a kill range as quickly as possible. And I would take calculated risks to say, okay, I'm pretty sure I know what I'm looking at here. This is where I need to be because of the time factor. But if the objective was... I'm looking for a certain deer, uh, you know, an older deer, a more mature deer because of a size um, you know deal there where where that was the contest. I would I wouldn't necessarily scout as a matter of fact if the if the idea was size, I really wouldn't scout traditionally like we're talking about I, If if I had an area, let's just say in your hypothetical that <clears throat> this WMA, We all meet up and we say, okay, you're going to go here. You're going to go here. So we all kind of, let's just say for hypothetical reasons, we have our own areas on this WMA. Okay. Um, I'm not going to walk in it and then hunt it within two or three days because I'm a firm believer that you limit your chance of killing big mature deer the more time you spend um, in the woods with them feet on the ground, Mm -hmm. especially in a two or three day window. I think that it's a great way to see a deer. I think it's a great way to learn the woods and put yourself in there with the deer. But I think if you spend from 12 o'clock till 2 o'clock walking all over the area, you think he's going to walk through and then climb up in a tree, the chances you're going to kill a big buck go way down. That's just my belief. So what I would probably do in that situation is I would try to get in the area where I think the deer are, and I would try to hunt in an observative way until i felt like or at least the first couple of hunts hoping i could kind of figure something out because i also believe that big deer and mature deer move in different ways and if i go somewhere where there's a bunch of does feeding on acorn trees that doesn't mean i'm going to kill a big deer just because i'm going to see a bunch of does feeding on acorn trees The, the big deers you know he may not be doing that so That I guess that kind of, to answer your question, I think that would be my goal. Obviously, if if we were playing a game where the first one to kill a deer, I'm obviously going to go to the first place that I think I can get a deer in bow range and shoot it. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to go there right away and get up in a tree. Um, I'm still not going to scout a whole lot in terms of walking through the woods. I'm just not going to do that. I don't think, I don't believe in that method. I know a lot of people do it. I know a lot of people kill a lot of deer doing it, but... I I try, I am big time on intrusion and I I try to keep my feet off the ground as much as possible. Mm -hmm. That's a, but B if, if I'm looking for a certain deer um, or at least just maybe not a certain deer, but a certain caliber of deer, like, you know, I want to kill a a nice buck. I'm not trying to kill the biggest, oldest, you know, bruiser in the, on the WMA, but a nice buck. I certainly want to slow down and I believe that making a couple of hunts, that are very strategically planned and very well prepared are, are higher percentage than making six hunts where I've spent a bunch of time walking all over the place and just getting in where there's a bunch of deer sign, hoping that an actual mature deer is going to go in that spot and not just a bunch of does or whatever. That's, that's my take.
0: Cannon. Yeah, I would, uh, I mean, I would go off of the geographic fe- uh, features and that first morning I may not get exactly on it, may get off of it a little bit to where my wind's not hitting where I think they may be. Mm-hmm. And it may be an observation sit, but at the same time, I may end up in the game. And then, you know, after my first hunt, I'm going to, I'm, I'll probably, I would probably push it a little bit more than probably Lockwood um, as far as boots on the ground. And um, I would try to pull my stand if I didn't think that was the spot. If I thought that was the spot, I wouldn't touch my stand. I probably wouldn't go scout. Mm-hmm. If I didn't think it was the spot after the morning hunt, I'd pull my stand, put it on my back, and hang and hunt, kind of slowly scout my way in until I think I found the right spot. The X. Yeah, the X. And maybe, and maybe yeah. if it's even hang my stand, get out, go scout elsewhere, but that's my afternoon spot to where I have a setup for the morning mm-hmm. that's not in the same area possibly.
2: So uh yeah, I, I I agree with parts of what both of y'all are saying. Locke, I um I theoretically agree with not walking all over a place um in in you could say blowing it out, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. Um the when you were talking, the thing that was going through my mind was the, you know, the biggest deer I've ever killed, um I killed it in a spot where I was sweating my ass off, sweating like one of those typical like January days where it's 31 <laughs> degrees in the morning and like 68 by one o'clock, you know, like how the hell do you dress for that? And, and so I was burning up. I had fleece on, I had, you know, uh, two layers, like two, three shirts, you know, I mean, I smelled, I smelled like a gym bag. And, um, but the thing is, is where I ended up hunting that evening was a spot where I, like I, I knew when I found it, I did not need to go any further. Like I did not need to take one further step in that direction. And I needed, I was at the front door. Like I just needed to back up, find a tree, set up and hunt. But that whole time where I'm sweating like a pig and I I'm like, I'm, I'm literally, I don't know if y'all have ever done anything in the woods where you're like, man, I've, It'd be really embarrassing if somebody walked up on me right now. But I was in, <laughs> I was in my green polar fleece Cabela's fleece. Like I look like the Grinch. Okay, I had taken all my camouflage off. Like my boots were off. I mean, I I felt like I had a furnace, you know, as as my as skin, and um and but the thing is, is I I had a north wind and the spot that i was at was straight north of me and it was like a it was a strong north wind it was was not swirling it was it was blowing the same direction and um and so i knew as long as i didn't go it 30 yards past this spot and i and i stayed downwind that i'd have a chance of killing a deer and sure as shit that's what happened i killed him that night and um that's the only like that that would be the only example I would say where I, like I wouldn't agree with you other than that like if we're just talking about open woods and palmettos and oak flats, yeah I don't walk I don't walk a, a, around all that stuff but but when you're when you find like when you find like what you feel is the the portal to the deer's planet uh, to to their dimension that they're gonna walk out of, when you find that and you're downwind of it you don't take another step.
3: Well, I think it's also yeah. important in this this hypothetical that it's really this is really a great hypothetical because it it highlights a lot of different things around our topic. You know, mm-hmm. it brings in a lot of different things, but I think it's important the one thing that we haven't mentioned and you mentioned it a little bit, you said it was January, the time of the year that we're doing this whole hypothetical makes a big difference too because yeah. The decisions that I would make about both things about whether i'm killing the first deer i can as quickly as i can or whether i'm trying to kill a certain caliber of deer either of those decisions um the time of the year makes a huge difference because as hunters you know and we do our homework and we learn you know what a deer is going to do in october and what a deer is going to do in january is totally different aside from the sign that you're looking for whether it's travel or food or whatever a buck if we're let's, let's let's skip into the 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 part of the hypothetical we talked about killing a the certain caliber of deer a deer let's say you know depending on where you're at in the state anywhere from thanksgiving into the the late season in january your older more mature bucks are going to move they're mo- I'm not say they're going to they're more likely to move much further distances during those times of the year than if you're going in there and hunting in october he's probably not going far from his travel routes are short most likely sure you know um, and so, with that being said, along along the lines of your observation set, he's traveling more. You need to know a whole lot more mm-hmm. about his travel route. You can also make more calculated. T- I, I don't know if we call this risk, but you, it's a calculated decision because of that. You know, like how far do you go, um, and those kind of things. So I don't know. That made me think about that. I was glad you said it that way because, I mean, I would say that as a side note to that whole thing. If I'm approaching this hypothetical competition with hunting buddies on a three-day hunt, you know, what I would do in October as opposed to what I would do when I felt was the pre-rut or the rut or the post-rut or whatever yeah, um, would be very different. Sure. Not sure. really different in, in the way I did it, but the decisions I made about it, you know, um, like – and I, I guess I, I shouldn't dance around that. I just should make an example, right? Um in October, I'm much more likely to do the observation thing because I, I don't want to get in. I don't really know where the deer, but I think they're right over there. And I think they're probably coming to it's just, you know, hypothetically, I think they're coming to here to feed, but I don't really know for sure. I think that's what I know. I'd rather see it and have a much better idea of when I go in there, because, because again, we're, we're circling back to that idea of in Locke's world, I want to go in a straight line and up the tree. I don't want to walk around and end up going, like you said, 30 yards too close because I was trying to find just the right tree, just the hottest, quote-unquote, hottest tree, and I went 30 yards too far down that bottom, and now i got to go find somewhere else to hunt. Yeah. Right? So I want to go straight to that that spot and straight up the tree. So earlier in the season, I'm going to sit back and make sure I know because it's green, it's thick, it's hot, there's thermals and sweat and all that. Later in the season – you know, the woods are a lot more open. The deer, I, I, I can feel pretty good that, hey, the deer that I'm hunting, <clears throat> while he's probably going to come through here in this three-day hunt, he's probably out looking for does. You know, it's a risk-reward thing here. I can kind of take the risk that he may not be in here. I can slip down in there and find just the right spot and go ahead and get in there because, you know, whatever. So that kind of thing plays into it too. Yeah. Yeah, and you may not even hunt a buck like where you think a buck
0: is bedding if it's the rut um yeah you know you may hunt you know what you think is a a doe where a doe would travel um if i showed you where you know kyler mentioned a deer that um he had seen us my buddy kill if if somebody would see that area i guarantee they would walk right past it and not hunt it but the rut you know there were seven different deer chasing a doe three different days in there you know
2: yeah Mm -hmm. well um so Ken, let me ask you this. Are you when you're hunting public land, are you going in by boat, by four-wheeler, walking in? What's your what's your tactic?
0: Um it's it's all about um just where I want to go. Um I mean, whenever you start hunting public land, most public land hunters are going to start walking, I mean, a couple miles a day. You know, I, whenever I go scout, my first day of scouting, I may walk five miles, you know, just checking out different areas kind of deal. Um, and I'm going to pick wherever I think the hottest sign is, per se. Um, I mean, maybe by full wheeler, maybe by truck. I may go check, you know, one spot by truck, one spot by boat, and then kind of make a determination from there. So um, I own a flat bottom, I own a full wheeler, and I own a truck. And I've hunted through all three of them in the last couple of years. So Um, nothing's really out the question as far as what's going to limit me to where I go per se. Um, I found, you know, good spots by truck, but also good spots by full wheeler. You know Um, if you have a ton of access, ton of people going in by full wheeler, you may want to look by truck or vice versa. You know, if a full wheeler really will get you away from some people or not as much people chomping through there, like y'all are saying, you know, um, just go into that one tree and not leaving scent. Well, if you have a bunch of people walking around leaving scent, you know, it's not your scent, but they already scared the deer out of there. Yeah. Maybe push them to another spot. So mm-hmm. really, you know, you, you have to kind of hunt people a little bit as well, you know, in public, um, which I'm sure y'all have both seen that. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I wouldn't limit myself to saying I only hunt by truck or by four wheeler one WMA by my house, I only hunt by truck. Cause that's, I mean, that's all they have, you know? Yeah. Um, other places I may hunt by four wheel or a boat, you know?
2: Yeah. 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 Well, um, what, uh, what gear are you hunting with, man? What, what's, what kind of setup do you have for stand and sticks and all that?
0: Um, so for stands, um, start off with the, uh, one of the old mans from I think 2003, and um hunted with that for probably still have it up to maybe 10 years ago seven or eight years ago maybe and I changed to a, a lone wolf salt too mm-hmm. um wanted that because I was tired of hunting trees you know uh, if a tree has a bunch of sticks on it sticking out you know it's pretty tough to get in there with a climber and a saw and be quiet yeah. So um got an assault lone wolf assault with four sticks is what I prefer. Um and just recently picked up a, a lone wolf climber, which is just super light. Mm-hmm. Which one um, which one do you have? What's that?
2: Which which uh climber do you
0: have? The uh sitting Mhm. and climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the alpha. Um, yeah. Are you I like, let me ask like, you a question? I like those. How, oh go ahead. How big of a
3: guy are you? Um I'm about six foot two oh five. Okay, so you're you're pretty. Big. So I just asked because I'm not I'm not a real big dude. I mean I'm, um, actually I'm a pretty small guy, and I had one of those, and I just found it was I couldn't. I mean it, it was just too much of a pinch for me. So I the the um the sitting divert the talk. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. So um I had a hand climber for years, um, and it was a it was a fantastic two and a half hour stand. Um, yeah. And, and then I was done.
3: And yeah, I just couldn't do it. I, I felt mean, like the, the I was sitting. I it. felt
2: like I was sitting on like the the gutter of a roof.
3: Let me tell you what I felt. I like I thought about this sitting in the stand a couple times, and I know I've diverted the topic here a little bit, but sorry. Um, you know those little like so you know they have the like the folding chairs, um that that you take to picnics or ball games or whatever. Well, they have the little small one that's for kids, and it'll have cartoons on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I felt like I was sitting in my kid's little folding <laughs> <laughs> and with
2: the 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 hand climber
3: yeah like yeah like i barely fit and i'm like again i mean i'm not a big guy and i'm like mm-hmm. dude like my hips are losing circulation yeah anyway,
2: so, so surprised
3: so if you're that size that so you, let me that let me
2: tell out. you this man so i i have um i've got uh, four deer stands One's a, a tree lounge. I don't really count that one because that's just a big paperweight that's in my my backyard. <laughs> um, but so I've got four deer sticks. I've got a tree lounge. I've got my, um, my go-to set, which is um, four Hawk Helium sticks that I've done a lot of modifications <laughs> to. And then uh, a Millennium M7 that I've done a, a massive surgery to that thing. And um, anyway, uh, <clears throat> then I have two climbers. I have a summit uh it's some it was some special edition summit it's aluminum it has round tubing and it's an open front but it's not the open shot um mm-hmm. but it's, it's it's no i hate front bars on climbers i freaking despise them i hate them <laughs> and um and so it's a it's an open front summit round tubing but i got it from chad Abear. it's actually how i met chad Abear was a, i wanted to buy this from him i think either we traded or something but um he had the hasmore seat on it you ever heard of that mm-hmm. yeah the yeah that's the baller seat yeah, it's it's like a, a thicker version of the old man net seat. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like white, natural color look. Um, and so he had traded out the Summit seat with the backrest and all that stuff. He had traded it out for that uh, Hasmore seat. And I fell in love with it because it slides out of the way. It's quiet. It's light. doesn't hold scent. doesn't stay wet. Like, it's not fabric, if you will. Like, it's not not netting where if it's wet, it'll get your butt wet. It stays dry. And... um. So I've got that stand, but i got to say I freaking hate it. Um, It's so (laughs) loud. It's clanky. There's no way to get that goddamn uh, swaged cable in the stand without sounding like you're banging two pots and pans together. (laughs) And I just I can't stand it, man. I've got to say I do honestly hate a Summit stand. And I'll even go as far as say somebody that comes out and says, I love Summit stands, I think they're the best, I doubt they've hunted out of anything else. <laughs> I I doubt it. I th- it's like saying your first car is your favorite car. You know, like I understand you like it because it works for you, but like don't say it's the best. There's better things out there. I yeah, will I will admit I the Lone Wolf stuff for climbers. I think they I think they rule. I think they're quiet. They're the most micro adjustable. They're mm-hmm. they um they are um very dead they don't resonate when you climb a tree, you know, like on a, on a two a stand with tubing, it rings a little bit, um, mm-hmm. clanks a little louder than it should, but I had the hand climber and I traded it. Um, and then I ended up buying a sit and climb and this is a very long way for me to say, lock are right. It's like living, it's like sitting in a Venus fly trap of a deer stand.
3: Okay. I agree with everything you said. I mean, I loved everything about that thing, but I have the cheat that. code,
2: I have the cheat code. Okay. You throw that sit and climb seat in the garbage can. All right, because what happens is when you, the sit-and-climb is designed for you to sit down within the bars.
4: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: If you get the Hasmore seat and you make it tight, you're sitting on top of the bars. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Oh, makes my sense. God, it's, like, changed my whole so, life.
0: I loved it. So I don't have a Hasmore seat on mine, but it has Uh, it's not the – typical seat that comes on it's a canvas seat that repels water mm-hmm. and it's tight enough to where it's exactly that you don't sit in between the bars you sit gotcha. on top like you're, yeah you're gotcha. sitting level with it
3: makes sense um
2: i uh, i don't like the uh, i'm not a huge fan of the like the the aluminum flat bar sit and climb like the thing you sit on when you sit and climb um mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I don't, that was another problem I really had. I didn't really like that. that. Just, it, I don't, it, it, to me, they, a couple of things about it is very uncomfortable. I didn't like the, the fact that it swayed back and forth and it sunk down too low. Yeah. Like it needed yeah, yeah. to be, like it's honestly, if I'm going to give Summit credit for anything, you know, they're sitting climb style with just a straight bar where you were up level with the frame of the stand when you sat down on the top. I just hated sitting down and sinking way down you know where my knees were up in my chest almost mm-hmm. you know when I got to where I was gonna stop I mean obviously when I'm stretching out that was different but I didn't like that swing bar
0: yeah and, and whenever whenever you're climbing it absolutely uh, whenever you get to the top is the only only time I ever see an issue with like you said you have to get it basically your knees in your chest other than that climbing is easy for me Mm -hmm. with that. But 95% of the time, I'm bringing my lock on. Um, I don't hunt, you know, unless uh, I rarely hunt the same tree. There are a few trees that I will hunt, you know, consistently, or I may bounce around an area. And if I'm bouncing around the area, I'm not going to bring my climber. But if I know I'm going into a specific tree and coming right out, you know, if it's the last morning and I'm heading back home and I know I'm going to this tree and hunting this, and then, you know, I know it's a good climbing tree. I may pack my climber, but well, 95% of the time I'm going to bring my uh, lock on.
2: Two yeah. two things. I took off my sit and climb bar, I took off that uh, flat bar piece that folds mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. And I replaced it. Uh, I replaced it with a piece of am steel that I can take on and off. Like, a, you know, just loop the ends and I, I cut it to the right length and all that stuff. Um, and the reason why I did that, cause I got tired of that bar being in my way and it was kind of heavy. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, make it sound like eight ounces of aluminum is going to make or break anything. But, um, I replaced it with am steel, and it does the same thing. It, you know, I sit on it and, and, it, you know, I, I can climb up and then when I'm, when I'm climbed up, I'd take it off and, you know, hanging from the side of the tree or the limb or something like that. And it's not in the way I'm not going to hit it or clank it or get caught in it or whatever. So that's one thing that I've done. Um but the other thing, I, you know, like I've said before, I'm a Jehovah's Witness for lock on stands. I think I think they're fantastic. Um but I do have about six separate instances of deer that came within 10 12 15 yards and they're walking through the woods and they see my bottom stick. And then they look at the second stick and then you can see them looking up the tree. One stick at a time. And then above the fourth step stick is me. (laughs) 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 And so I have literally, like it just happened to me on, on Saturday, man, I had a deer at six yard, I had a doe at six yards six yards and she was so far underneath me that the the limbs from the trees around me were covering her up like I couldn't draw back and shoot even if I did I would have at that angle I would have almost had to spine her because she was facing me you know I didn't have any broadside shot at all and I watched her come from about 50 55 yards away and um, she was going from like my noon to my three o'clock Okay, she was going from my front to my right, and um, and when she hit the right, when she got to about my three o'clock, she only had two options. She could go left and go away from me, or she could go right and come towards me. Well, she disappeared. I don't know where she went, and she and, and I I just couldn't see her anymore. I'm sitting there, like, back and forth, like, trying to look around these trees, see where she went, and what had happened was she was um, browsing, and she was, like, one step at a time, coming straight towards me. And sure as shit, here she is, six yards down under on my stand. And I had the wind in my favor. No, she didn't smell me. wind was blowing about 10 miles an hour, so it wasn't swirling. And um, she gets to really close to where, like, my stuff was on the ground before I pulled it up. And she picks up her head, and she looks at my tree, and she's literally chewing. <laughs> you can see her, you know, like a cow. You can see her mouth moving in that kind of oval shape where she chews, you know, where her, her mm-hmm. mouth's going in a circle. And you could see her slow down as she chewed. And then you could see her ears pin back. And she looks at my first stick, and she does that, like, famous doe head cock, you know. <laughs> and then she lo- she dips her head down, and she lifts it back up, and she looks at my stick again. This is a Hawk Helium stick. It's kind of like that gr- bluish gray. Um, and she looks at it, and then she looks at the second stick. And she looks in the third stick and then she looks at the fourth stick and there I am. And she, she, (laughs) she runs off. Right. And, um, but that's, I I gotta say that's probably one of the few downsides of hunting a lock on sand. And the advantages of hunting a climber is that when you go up in a climber, there's nothing like that to give you away at ground at eye level, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a really long way of saying that. So, um,
3: I guess that's more prevalent for you too, because, you know, I mean, when you go in there and set up the deer that are there frequenting that area that that sticks never there like they my lock ons but mm-hmm. my lock ons they walk past that ladder all the time mm-hmm. you know just I'm one sure. of those days i might be up at the top of it <laughs> that's true
2: so um so kenan uh l- let me let me ask you this uh, you know we talked about how you're going in you go by going in by boat going in by by foot or by four-wheeler or whatever um, when you're trying to cut out a piece of public land to say, okay, Hey, I'm, I'm not hunting over here. How much consideration are you giving to, uh, other types of public access points like four wheeler trails and things like that?
0: Oh, uh, that, I would say that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, me and me and some guys, we have a camp and, um, we hunted a spot religiously and, um, we we killed deer out of there every year until one year they opened up a four-wheeler trail on the back side of it and the people that came in had no slouch walk it was well over a little bit over a mile um but the difference was is we would walk you know three-fourths of a mile and had to cross the bayou in hip boots while well, nobody across the bayou mm-hmm. and whenever they opened up the four-wheeler trail, it was less than a three mile walk, and so they were able to walk in a mile you know mile a mile and a half and walk right on us and it just changes the game for them, you yeah. know um I mean if you think somebody if you think you can walk it, somebody's already done it tenfold
4: mm-hmm.
0: most public lands somebody there's always somebody that's willing to walk further, and if you think that that's not possible. I mean, your my wife has walked two miles, so get it, get it through your head that somebody has walked back there. Yeah. Um, so the access is a big deal, you know, Um uh, by boat with no, no other access is a great, great way to get in there. Um, and at least knock out some of that pressure that may come in from other hunters. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, just curious, man, um, you know, we're trying to learn as much as we can from public land hunters. And that's, that's why we wanted to have you on was, um, it's, uh, if you think about it, it's a, it's a difficult thing. You know, you you have, you have people that are going to go in blind into a piece of property and it might take them years to get proficient at it. And, um, and then you've got, other people that are say hey I'm going to do some homework I'm going to do some serious scouting on the internet I'm mm-hmm. going to go look these places up I'm going to figure out if you know if they ended up being what I hope they were in my mind when I was looking at them on an aerial map um, and then you use that information um, and uh, hopefully it gets you closer to, uh, to to where you can kill a deer um, I think you know one last point that I'm going to make and then I think we should kind of wrap it up is don't underestimate how small of a change it takes to find a totally different type of woods to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um you know sometimes you know the only sometimes having no feed trees is a problem if you're a feed tree hunter. But at the same time having too many feed trees is a, a worse problem. You know yeah. uh, not having one to set up on is better than having too many to set up on, in my opinion. Um, And, but at the same time, if you can find that place where, um, like, I I use an app called Hunt Stand. I know a lot of people use Onyx Maps, Onyx Hunt. And, um, they're both really good because they use wintertime maps. So, they give you, they give you um, a pretty good insight of what the woods are going to look like. Maybe not right now because it's still relatively mild and everything's still green and all that stuff. But, you know, they give you maps from November, December, January. And if you've got areas that you're looking in that have large canopy trees with zero leaves on them, most likely that's going to be a feed tree. Most likely that's going to be a hard mass feed tree. And if everything around it is still has a canopy and still has leaves, well, that might be, you could say, maybe a diamond in the rough. That feed tree could be a primary feed tree for that maybe 50 acres 100 acres something like that um at the same time if you find an area where the whole place looks like it's just you know not a leaf on any tree for hundreds and hundreds of acres that's going to be tough you know maybe Mm. maybe go in there during rifle season or something you know (laughs) on an observation stand um because getting a deer within 30 40 yards is going to be difficult um in that type of terrain. So, um, you know, this, we're talking about transitions. We're talking about bayous. We're talking about, um, getting away from four wheeler trails and public access points, but also don't, don't think it needs to be this big waving red flag of terrain change because you're not the only one that's noticing it. You know, um, Mm -hmm. if it's that obvious to you, it's that obvious to other people too, you know? So, um, So you have anything else that you want to want to add to us? Like any other tactics you got or any other advice you got before we jump off of here?
0: Yeah. um, The two, the two biggest things that I find whenever you look at a new property or, um, just getting into it, you know, um, is so Google earth is awesome. Whenever you go back to nine, the nineties and early 2000, whenever it's in your gray mode, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you can clearly see bottoms, sloughs, bayous, anything. You know, you find a wet wet year, and it, it lights up like, you know, a firecracker right in front of you. That that help, has helped me in the past. Um, also, the number one thing that I find, and also most of my buddies that I hunt with, is boots on the ground. You can scout all day long on the internet, but until you actually go and actually see it with your own eyes it may look great on the internet, you know, but you get in there and there's not a deer track in sight, Mm -hmm. you know? So whenever you're going in there and you're walking one mile, you know, for the day, I mean, that's, that's not that much in the grand scheme of things. Don't, don't be afraid to just walk it, you know, don't even plan to hunt that day maybe or that morning and spend the whole morning scouting and finding a tree or, you know, use one of the tactics that uh, the other guy locker Kyler said, you know, Kyler was saying, go in and hang and hunt kind of deal. Get in there maybe around noon, stand on your back and just start scouting your way in. And mm-hmm. if you find the right spot set up right there, but boots on the ground is the main
3: thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, uh, Locke, you got anything you want to add before we hop off here?
3: I want to, I want to add, um, I want to add something new. Uh, this is going to be uh, the Louisiana bow hunter tip of the week. And, and we learned it earlier in the episode. And that is, that it's hard to scout in the dark, mm-hmm. so uh, I wanted to add that it is hard to scout um, in the dark. Yeah, yes, that, that uh, was that was the main, that was one thing I wanted to add before you. Also,
2: this just in: water is wet. Uh, yes, yeah, water is wet, and yep. uh, grass is green, and it is hard to scout in the dark. Yes.
3: Yep. Um. But the other thing that I was going to say was uh. So uh, you know, I think it's all really good. This is all really good content, and I. You're just kind of going back to the the similar theme that you'll hear from me. With a lot of things is and i am definitely one of these guys that whether it's public or private or what i'm, I'm a firm believer in you know finding more success by hunting the, the cliche way to say it is hunting smarter and not harder you know mm-hmm. um that's the cliche way to say it but i don't think that really defines it very well i just think that um it's probably fair for us to say that most people listen to this is they're <laughs> you know, they enjoy their time in the woods. They enjoy the hunting season, but ultimately they're looking to kill something. Right. I mean, they're looking to, to be successful. And I think that, um, when we're, when we're talking about doing all this, you know, if you go in and, and how, whatever, whatever, uh, you know, potion mixture of these tactics that you put together, when you find something that looks right, um, You know, don't get careless and reckless and think that just because, oh, there's all this deer sign, and you know, still be a little bit strategic about it. You know and I mean? I'm not trying to sell my method in terms of like an observation shit or something like that, but, you know, still be really, um, really strategic in the way you approach things because a deer track is where a deer was, not where a deer is, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. um, you still got a lot to figure out. So when you use all these methods and you find the the right spot, still – you know, kind of keep in mind and be open-minded, I guess is a good way to say it, about how, okay, now i found the spot. How am I going to go about hunting it, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't just yeah. blow up in the wrong wind.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think we do that. I mean, it's just like that thing we talked about um, a couple episodes back where, you know, uh, kind of a different subject, but kind of similar in the careless factor where, you know, we go in and we find all this great deer sign, and, you know, what do we do? We dump a bag of corn out right yeah yeah, (laughs) you know it's like so like it's kind of the same thing like when you find that spot you know don't just like oh there's all kind of deer here i just got to stay in the woods i just got to hammer this spot because there's deer sign everywhere no you know you've you've now reached step one and whether that is right here in the immediate i need to figure out how to hunt it or if that's i need to back out and gather more information and 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 bookmark this spot or whatever that means just understand that deer sign is where a deer was not where he is you still got to figure out how to hunt him the best way and i and i believe that you know the whole can't kill them from the couch kind of mentality, um, I, I don't think is whether you're hunting for filling a limit or you're hunting for a certain deer. I, I, I personally don't subscribe to that theory. I think mm-hmm. that hunting smarter yeah. is is a better way. And I can tell you personally, from my opinion, it is a much more satisfying way to uh, to hunt in terms of you know, all season career wise. For sure.
0: Yeah. And you bring, you bring up a good point of of satisfaction. Um, You know, satisfaction for everybody is different. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if if a successful hunt is killing a deer to one person, to me, a successful hunt is coming home to a family, my family. Um, Getting out in the woods, hopefully seeing a deer, the kill is the bonus to me. Even though every hunt I'm going to try to kill, I'm not just going to go try to sit and blow up the spot sure you know so don't don't be don't don't try to measure your success to say Locke's success or kyler's success or these guys on tv you know you, your own success is what you make it and what you enjoy in my mind um yeah you know so and, you know
2: i've said this before sometimes the sometimes it's a victory in itself on on public land to just not see another person you know yeah. Yeah, absolutely just just because you didn't see a deer that hunt doesn't mean it isn't a good spot um if you hunt it three times especially on a weekend and you don't see a person in those three times that in and of itself might help you determine hey this is where might where i need to be you know mm, so, yeah absolutely well let's uh let's let's crank it down here guys kenan i appreciate you being on tonight with us and uh and for giving us some of the insight into how you hunt. Um, Locke, I hope uh hope you have a good time in Kansas. I bet it's probably cold up there,
3: huh? Dude, it feels up here today. So I spent all day, seven AM until five thirty in the woods, scouting, walking, um, properties and hanging stands. And uh it feels today here the way it feels on the dreariest, windiest, coldest day of the year in louisiana hmm. it is it's rough it sounds like fun yeah but i would i but it beats work all day, every day. <laughs> mm. so. oh, cool
2: all right guys yeah. well, y'all be good thanks for coming on and uh right, we'll yeah. talk to you soon talk appreciate you. it all right see ya.